words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I remember a few years ago when I, when I first moved to Hudson and went to a new dentist, and so I go in and they, they give me the forms, and I'm filling out the forms, you know, that sort of standardized form that asks you all these sorts of questions, and, and there was a you know, kind of the personal medical history questions like, do you have a heart condition or do you um, have vision impairment or trouble breathing? You know, that sort of thing. And then I got to this question that says, would you consider your work dangerous or hazardous? Yes or no? I marked yes. <laughs> I took it up to the uh, nurse and I, I handed over the form. I'm standing there in a clerical collar. And, um, and she's looking over it, and she got to that question because she looked up at me and kind of, you know, gave me this smirk like she thought I was completely ridiculous. I don't think she took me seriously at all. Um, there is perhaps no one less intimidating, less fear-inspiring than a man in a black shirt with a white tab collar. I mean, nobody is afraid at this moment, right? They, serious work? Sure, yeah. Important? No question about it. Dangerous? Really? This is what you're going to go with? Dangerous? Hazardous? And it sort of goes with the territory, doesn't it? I mean, a clergyman might be important, might, might, might serve a vital role, but tame, genteel, uh, not striking fear in anybody's heart. I have a friend who, um, who flies planes for American Airlines. Now there's a sexy job right there, huh? The 38,000 feet flying at 600 miles an hour, jumping from one continent to another. Now that guy, I mean, there's some danger there. My brother, he, he drives, uh, he drives semi trucks, and he tells me stories about driving through the mountains of West Virginia in the middle of the winter, you know, up and down the sliding and all that. A little scary there. I have another brother who's a construction worker. He talks about you know being up on a thirty-story building, nothing between him and the ground, but thin air. You know, walking around on these. You know, me. I parse Greek verbs. Um, you know, I uh, I visit people in the hospital, <laughs> preach sermons. There's more to it than that, for sure. But and it's busy. You know, I work hard, but not likely to strike fear. You know, if the if the insurance actuaries are filling out my form. They're probably smiling. At least until they get to the part about the motorcycle. You know, they're, they're probably thinking I'm pretty safe. But I'm not alone. I mean, except for a paper cut. You know, most of you probably aren't worrying about spilling too much blood at work either. I mean, some of you might. But, but you're, probably, you're probably pretty safe too. My son says to me the other day, Hey, Dad, I want to go skydiving. There's this place up the road here. Like 100 bucks or $150, I can go skydiving. Yeah, why not pay money to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, right? I mean, while you're at it, why don't you hang glide or wrestle an alligator, you know? I mean, I shouldn't give him ideas. <laughs> I remember I went on safari in Africa um, several years ago, and it was a night safari. And right when I was getting ready to get on the truck, this, um, this young woman comes up to me. She has a clipboard and a piece of paper, and she says, I need you to sign this. I said, well, what is this? She says, well, it just says if you get mauled by a, a, you know, a wild animal, your family won't sue the park. <laughs> really? You know? 
A few years later, I happened to be in Korea, and so we went up to the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. You know there's this like painted line on the ground between um, people with guns? Uh, and, uh, and so we're going up there, and this Marine takes us into a, into a room, and he says, um, before we go up there, I want you to watch this video, and, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll head up there. And in the video was all these scenes of, of people who have died at the DMZ. Okay, And then he says, now, if you'll fill out this form... And um, sign it that says, you know, you know, understand that the United States military cannot guarantee your safety and you may die as a result of your presence here today. You sign this form and, uh, yeah, we'll jump in the bus and ride up there. It occurred to me as I was signing that form. How many times do you get to sign this form before, like, something really bad happens? I mean, does God have to say, gee, kid, I mean, I gave you all sorts of chances and you just keep taking them, you know? Go on up there. Just... Just take some more risk. That's what we do, isn't it? We, we want life to be more... Let me jump out of an airplane. You know, maybe I'll go out and seek a lion in the wild. You know, I'll, maybe go up to a war zone and take some neat photographs. You know, we, let's make things more dangerous. But did you ever think that the gospel of Jesus is dangerous? I mean, have you ever thought about the, the power and danger of the gospel, that it might be the most dangerous thing that you've ever come into contact with. That it can be so, so powerful. It's like a contagion, like a bacteria. It can just, it can just um, jump from you to, to someone else and infiltrate entire, entire tribes, peoples, different families. Early in the Gospel of Jesus, uh, in Gospel of Mark, rather, Jesus is talking about why he came. The very first words Jesus speaks in Mark's Gospel are this: "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near." From the very first words that Jesus says, here's what he says: "Look, the kingdom has arrived. It's not about the sweet by and by. It's not about when we die and go to heaven, though it is about that too." But it's about the kingdom of God being present here and now. It has come. The kingdom has arrived, Jesus says. It is at hand, right here, this very moment. And so when we pray, the way our Lord taught us, saying, Thy kingdom come, we're not saying, Lord, take us to heaven when we die. We're saying, Lord, will you bring your kingdom here now? Will you infiltrate these places all around us? Where your kingdom is being resisted. Where it's being rejected. Will you come and infiltrate every life, every political sphere, every family, every tribe, every nation, every person. We're praying, when we pray, thy kingdom come, that God's rule and dominion would take place in the lives of all the people around us. I so wish we get our minds around this. So that when we pray this Lord's Prayer and we get to this line, Thy Kingdom Come, that we think about, you know, that family that's in, in, in constantly fighting with one another. We think about that person who's being abused, about a child who's been abandoned, about, about a man who's going through deep depression. That when we pray Thy Kingdom Come, that we would pray into these situations, these very ones. Not just thinking about the sweet by and by, but thinking about the here and now. Lord, that Your kingdom would infiltrate this world in which we live. It brings us to today's text. Jesus' first words were, the kingdom is at hand. And then for a few chapters, we don't hear anything. And then He picks up again with this theme of the kingdom. 
He and Jesus begins to tell him about this story about a sower. He says in the beginning part of chapter 4, this fellow goes out to sow seeds like a farmer does. And he scatters seeds around. And some of it grows up in good soil and some of it in rocky soil and some in other sorts of bad soil. And he just throws it out. The, the kingdom of God is like someone who goes out sowing seeds. Well, okay, so the kingdom of God is like seeds, but but how does it work? I mean, how does the seed work? I mean, what does this happen? Verse 30, Jesus says, What can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Think about, um, think about a little tiny seed. If you went over to Acme and you, uh, you walked in, you'd see these little seeds where people plant gardens. You know, you go and there's a little package of tomato seeds or tomato seeds, if you prefer. And there's uh, cucumber seeds and I don't know, whatever other kind of seed. Green beans. Help me out, somebody. So you know that there are all these little packages of seeds. They're small. Uh, the, the whole package. You could maybe plant, I don't know, a dozen plants. <clears throat> In a package that would fit in my shirt pocket. You know, a a little tiny package of seeds. The seeds are like the kingdom of God. You plant them and they don't look anything like what you're going to get. You know, this tiny little seed is going to grow up into a bush that's four or five feet tall. It's going to produce these big giant tomatoes. Or it's going to produce cucumbers or whatever. But it looks nothing like the seed. But what is the seed? I mean, if the kingdom of God works like a seed, what is the seed? Listen, he tells us back in, in, in the earlier part of this chapter, Jesus says to his, his friends who don't seem to understand this whole concept, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. What is the seed? What is the gospel seed? It is the Word of God. It's when we tell someone else about the miracle that God has wrought in our own life. The Word of God is like a seed planted. You go and you tell somebody, hey, you're never going to believe what the Lord did for me. You're sitting together at lunch. You know, having a salad. Iced tea. And you say, let me tell you about what the Lord did in my life. Right then, you are planting a gospel seed. And you say, but, you know, if you knew some of the people I hung out with, you know, they're going to hear me say that and just say, oh, fooey, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. I don't believe any of that. And so you're not going to tell them. You know, if I told them, that's exactly what they would say. That's the point. (laughs) See, the point isn't that they are convinced by your argument. The kingdom of God is like a man who sows seeds. He plants seeds. And guess what? The seeds work all by themselves, Jesus says. It's like a man who goes out and plants seeds, and the earth produces all by itself. Automate, he says. It's where we get the word automatic. The sower doesn't actually do anything to make the seed. Now, he might, you know, water it, or maybe he fertilizes it, or maybe he does something. But the, the seed... Doesn't doesn't germinate. It doesn't become a plant because of what he has done, other than that he has planted it. And not just like any seed. It's like a mustard seed, which meant absolutely nothing to me because I plant nothing. I know I couldn't I couldn't grow anything other than a weed. You know, I've told you, but I can read. Okay, and, and so you're you're questioning that. I can really, and, and so I went back and read about mustard seed. 
The mustard plant is what biologists call um, a, a kind of invasive species. Mustard, people didn't plant mustard in their garden. They used it, but they would not plant it because it would take over the entire garden. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. When you plant it, it grows huge. And it just begins to spread out everywhere, taking over everything in sight. It's an all-consuming plant. Who would have thought that the Word of God, rightly spoken, would be so powerful? And so you say, well, you know, that's all fascinating and good, but what in the world does that mean to us? What does that mean to me? It means this. If we are going to dare to pray, Thy kingdom come, we had better be willing to participate in the dissemination of that kingdom. We don't pray for God to do something and then we would be refusing to participate in it. If we went over to Acme and bought a package of seeds and stuck them in our pocket, we should never expect that out in the yard a tomato plant is going to grow up. Would we? I mean, how ridiculous would that be? How absurd. I want a garden, so I go over and I buy a bunch of seeds and I stick them in the drawer in my kitchen. They're not going to produce any sort of fruit. There's not going to be any cucumbers in my refrigerator. Trust me, I've tried. Okay, it just doesn't work. You know, you go in, it requires the sowing of seed. You're not responsible. You're not at all. I'm not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for, for changing people's lives. We are responsible for sowing seed. It is our job. It's our job to sow seed. I was reading the story the other day about an article in the, um, the New Philadelphia um, uh, Times Reporter, the newspaper from New Philadelphia, Ohio. It was back several years ago, and it was talking about uh, an event that took place in New Orleans. I guess about the year 1985 or so, there was, uh, there was a celebration at the municipal pools. They'd had an entire season without a single drowning death. And so they were throwing a big party for all the people who were working with the pool, uh, you know, the, the, the lifeguards and their families, and 200 people present at this pool party in New Orleans. At the end of the party, there were 100 lifeguards, 100 certified lifeguards were present. At the end of the party, they were clearing people out, and they saw a body floating in the deep end of the pool. They pulled out Jerome Moody, 31-year-old man, fully dressed, Tried to revive him and could not. He had expired. He had drowned to death at a party with a hundred lifeguards. I couldn't think of anything more tragic. Anything more tragic. A hundred people around there. Scores of people who could have saved his life. And yet they were so self-absorbed. So consumed with their own good time that they completely missed someone dying in their midst. Can you think? Can you think of anything more tragic than that? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.